Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. On A Green Way Forward, we take a look at issues, organizations, and current events, but specifically through the lens of the Green Party's perspective of peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. On this program, we're joined by Mark Dunley. Mark is a longtime social change agent. He's also a longtime Green Party organizer, and now he's running for state controller in New York State. And as a matter of full disclosure, Mark is a climate change activist. He's the a, a former anti-poverty activist, I suspect still is. He had 28 years with the Hunger Action Network. I think he was one of the founders or co-founders of that organization. He's the former state head organizer of ACORN, the Association of Community Organizers for Reform Now. And he had my job as the Jill Stein campaign manager uh, uh, before I took it on. So uh, Mark has a long history, and I can't wait to get into this conversation with him. So, Mark, welcome to A Green Way Forward. Well, David, thank you for having us on. So listen, I want to give, uh, I gave just a, a, a little bit of your bio. I touched on it, but you really do have a rich history of both Green Party organizing and efforts at social change, both in the environment and for social justice and for peace work. So I'm going to open up the space for you to say to our viewers, to our listeners on the podcast, Mark Dudley, tell us about yourself. Well, I will say for the last five years, I've been focusing very heavily on the climate change issue and uh, particularly I'd work with 350.org on uh, trying to get state and local uh, governments to divest. But in, in terms of my background, um, I actually was a student co-founder of a group called Nyberg, New York Public Interest Research Group, and was the first chairperson of uh, National Perg. Um, in the um, mid-70s, and that's where I first began to work with uh, Ralph Nader. Um, and, you know, worked on issues like the bottle bill and trying to fight uh, nuclear power plants and utility rate cases. But when I graduated from law school, I wanted to – I had found that in law school that uh, legislative work and litigation was not the way to social change. And so I decided after law school to go and, and, and learn organizing from the group that at that point was considered the best in the, the country doing it. The Saul Alinsky type organization called ACORN had grown out of the National Welfare Rights Organization. And I worked for them in the South and the Southwest for a number of years uh, in Texas and uh, Colorado, and then became the head organizer via ACORN. And actually ACORN, um, not everybody may be familiar with ACORN started in Arkansas, but it was really about trying to empower low-income community groups, uh, organized community groups. Actually, we'd organize a new community group about every um, six weeks to work on neighborhood issues, getting vacant houses cleaned up, getting um, you know money for housing renewal, uh, but then also trying to work together on broader issues like job creation and, and utility rates. And ACORN had decided um, to try to set up a third party in, in 1980 called the People's Party. And so we had a plan to organize 20 states by 1980 growing out of Arkansas. Uh, so it would be easier to qualify for federal pr- presidential property matching funds. you got to get 5,000 each of 20 states. So they organized that, and I that's why I was in Arizona. I think we were the number 19 state. 
but they discovered they were unable to move the black churches, which are very much aligned with, and the unions out of the Democratic Party. And so at that point, ACORN moved back into the uh, Democratic Party. But a number of us said, we're convinced about the importance of an independent third party uh, that can speak uh, to the needs of low-income people. And ACORN has always worked on election campaigns, because for elections a major way in this country in which we exercise political power. So a number of us became uh, the initial staff organizers for the Citizens Party. And from there, I got active with the the Green Party and was the co-founder of the Green Party uh, in New York State uh, in in 1990. But I I also realized some of the limitations of ACORN. It was very organizer, staff dependent. I realized there wasn't enough organizers in the country for the ACORN model to be successful. So I came back to New York in the early 80s and started, um, I worked for the Hunger Action Network of New York State after working with the Citizens Party. And we worked on a variety of issues. We technically were presented food pantries and soup kitchens, but also their guests. We did a lot of work on welfare rights, went after Bill Clinton on his repeal of aid to dependent children, gave us what's called the TANF program instead, uh, very anti-women, very anti-children. Uh, did a lot of work on the single-payer health care, really uh, Hunger Action Network put the single-payer health care movement back together again in New York State is sort of falling apart. And now we've actually passed a single-payer bill three years in a row now uh, in, in the New York State legislature. And ACORN was always the lead group, I'm sorry, Hunger Action Network was always the lead group on trying to raise a state minimum wage uh, because, you know, we eat about 3 million people a month at the food pantries. About a third of them are uh, working families who don't make enough money um, at their jobs. And so trying to raise their income through raising their wages. And basically we would work on um, the minimum wage for a couple of years until the big boys, the unions would begin to pay attention to what we're doing and, you know, then jump on that. Um, so a lot of issues, corporate accountability, uh, farm policy stuff. I, I did help uh, a lot. You know, I ran most of the state um, Green Party campaigns in New York State for, for governor starting in 1998, United States Senate, uh, Howie Hawkins a number of times for, for governor, Stanley Aronowitz, Dave McReynolds. Uh, helped uh, Jill with both of her, you know, presidential campaign efforts. But about five years ago, um, you know, I was, of course, as a Green Party member, done a lot of environmental work. And it just became very clear we were losing the fight against climate change. And, of course, across the planet, it's low-income people who feel the brunt of, of, of climate change and decided that I had the skill set from, you know, being an organizer for 35 years that would be helpful to try to move the uh, climate change movement along. So about five years ago, I decided to become active with 350.org. Uh, um, I've done a lot of work. One of the things, you know, working with Howie Hawkins in New York State in his two gubernatorial campaigns, you know, eight years ago, actually probably about 10, 11 years ago at this point, um, we called for a ban on fracking, uh, you know, fracking of, uh, of natural gas. Um, a lot of the environmental groups thought we were too extreme in our positions. They said, let's study the issue. Let's have a moratorium. And we were like, no, we don't need to study the issue. Natural gas is a fossil fuel. It has methane. It's 80 times more potent as a greenhouse gas short term than you know, carbon dioxide from burning coal. Let's do it. 
you know, fortunately, the grassroots movement agreed with um, with Howie, and that became the rallying call, you know, for the statewide movement. And about uh, after the last election four years ago, where Howie got five percent of the vote for for governor, you know, campaigning on a Green New Deal, hundred percent clean energy by twenty thirty, um, we got the governor to agree a ban on fracking. And one of the things I said was, well. You know, I know how to beat bad projects. I know how to beat fossil fuel projects. You just do nothing else for five, six, seven years. You tell your kids, listen, I'll see your graduation and make sure you send, you know, some flowers to the wife on the anniversary. But it's it's easy to beat bad things if that's all you do, but it's like whack-a-mole. As soon as you beat one bad project, another project pops up. And you really need to create the type of world that you want. And so we made a decision to actually try to go to 100% clean energy in uh, New York State by 2030. We had had a study done by Mark Jacobson, professor at Stanford University, that outlined how it would do. We create 5 million new jobs. We lower utility bills. So I put that together, but I also began to work with 350.org. And, you know, they had started this campaign to divest us. Uh, various funds, institutional funds from, from fossil fuels. Why should we be investing in uh, an industry which was destroying the planet on a moral ground? And in the five years we've done the campaign, we've managed to divest worldwide from about 700 institutions, about $6 trillion, which was much more than we possibly ever thought um, we could do. And as the campaign has gone on, it's not only been the moral issue, we also realize it's a bad financial risk to keep money in an industry in which the world has said we need to get rid of. To make a long story short, was able to get New York City a couple months ago to finally agree to divest its pension fund. I think it's the third largest pension fund uh, in the state, I'm sorry, in the country, from fossil fuels, but have not been able to get uh, the New York State controller, who happens to be the sole trustee, unlike New York City, where we had 15 people we could push, so I decided let's run against them on the divestment issue. Uh, he argues that shareholder activism makes more sense. You know, vote your stocks at uh, Exxon shareholder meetings. You own a billion dollars in Exxon in order to get them to be better on uh, climate change. So that's kind of ridiculous, given that you had 50 years of shareholder activism. It's never worked. It's a you know way to get media, but it doesn't actually push them, and you're not actually allowed to change the core part of their business for shareholder resolutions due to Federal Security Exchange Commission rules. Um, And in New York State, we have our Attorney General investigating Exxon and other fossil fuel companies for lying to the planet, for the country, to investors about the reality of climate change. So why should we be engaged in shareholder activity? Why don't we divest? And, And that's what they decided to sort of frame you know, my campaign around as long as, as well as getting the 50,000 votes for how you are for governor so the Green Party can keep its ballot status in New York. So that's a lot, Mark. And uh, you've got your, your, your organizer chops uh, are pretty significant from being a Nader Raider uh, back in the day to helping form the New York State PERG, Public Interest Research Group, uh, to the Hunger Action Network, uh, to Green Party organizer and the Citizens Party before that. Uh, and having some specific uh, wins along the way. So I'm going to now invite uh, viewers who are watching live 
if you've got any questions or comments, please do write them in as Darren and Jason have already done and any others. For those of you who are listening on the podcast, we want to thank you and tell you that you too can listen and watch live uh, on Facebook or even listen live if you go to the website agreenwayforward.org and you can be part of the conversation live. But if you're listening to the podcast after the fact, we thank you for that. And we thank all of you uh, who are participating in this program and to remember that we're building not only an audience, but we're building a movement together. This is a source of non-corporately filtered news, information, and analysis. We are building it together, but we depend on you, the viewer, you, the listener, to share it. If you are listening and watching live on Facebook, you need to share this on your own page, in your own groups, on your own pages. If you are listening to the podcast, please sign up to the podcast so you can find out about our upcoming guests and share the podcast with other folks. Mark, Darren has already written in to ask a very specific question related to New York. He asks, are funds for workers' compensation in New York currently invested in the fossil fuel industry? That's a good question. Uh, I've not heard that one before. That would need to be investigated. I've not heard of it. So my suspicion is not, but um, I, I've not heard anybody said, you know, I actually checked into it. Great. Well, Darren, I want to thank you for pushing a skilled organizer and a controller candidate uh, to have to do a little research. So uh, please do look into that for Darren, uh, Mark. Jason writes in to ask, what advice can you give us local and state Green Party organizers to help make us more visible and electable? Jason goes on to say, personally, I will never vote for a duopoly candidate uh, again after the last presidential caucus or primary, and I want to help spread that vision. But Jason is specifically asking for some advice to, to you, Mark, as a longtime Green Party organizer. How can we make our local and state Greens more visible and more electable? Well, I remember maybe 15 years ago, I helped manage the uh, mayoral campaign in Albany of uh, Dr. Alice Green, actually also been our first candidate for lieutenant governor, uh, African-American civil rights activist. And one of the things we decided to do was to hold one to two press conferences a week. And somebody gave me the advice, well, you hold the press conference, maybe somebody shows up. You don't hold the press conference. It's definite no one's going to show up. (laughs) And and, uh, we actually... We we did about 20 press conferences, and I think 19 of them actually got media coverage. And, in fact, the press conference, which I thought was the best one, was the one where we got no media coverage. That's where we got the African-American clergy to come out. And we ended up with 25% of the vote in the city of Albany, which is probably the strongest Democratic machine in the United States, stronger than that little town of Chicago. And they haven't lost an election in um, 20 years. I'm sorry, in 100 years. In terms of becoming more electable, I mean, I think one thing that's important is that we're right on the issues, that the people agree with us on the issues. They have to know that we're uh, articulating those issues. Uh, voter identification, uh, Howie Hawkins, you know, came very close in the city of Syracuse uh, when he ran uh, for city council, ended up with 48, 49% of the vote. And what his campaign manager did, Ursula Razum, 
was, you know, it decided that only 20% of the people tend to vote in elections. And so they focused on meeting each one of those 20% and trying to figure out, you know, explaining to them what the Green Party platform was, how it related to their issues, and then kept track of where they stood and whether or not they supported Howie. And then in the week, you know, before the election, really spent a lot of time trying to turn them out, reminding them to vote, and then particularly on election day, having a list of everybody who said they were going to vote for Howie. And if they had not voted by three o'clock, four o'clock, they got a visit from the you know Green Party person. So I think voter identification is really important. Um, and then, of course, just networking with groups that, you know, have a community base but are reflective of green values. Um, and I think we have to show up at their events to build that trust and support over time, not just on election time. So I really appreciate that answer, Mark, because you you were very concrete and specific about voter identification and get out the vote efforts, the sort of practical, tactical uh, organizing that you can do that it relates specifically to electoral organizing, but also the importance of building long-term relationships and movement building uh, that goes on in between elections. Greens have got to be visible and showing up as social change agents on issues that matter to people in between elections. So I want to let you know, Mark, John writes in to say, best of luck in your race, go green. So you, you've already got some uh, support out here, at least on a green way forward. And I want to ask something that I've heard about, and I'd like you to get, uh, explain to our audience or correct me if I'm wrong. But it's my understanding that there are some current corruption trials in New York State, specifically around Governor Cuomo's aides and some of his cronies. And I want to know, number one, is that true? If it is, can you explain it a little bit? And if I'm right about that, is there some way the controller could actually clean up state government as it relates to some of those corrupt contracts? Well, unfortunately, you would always be right about corruption trials in New York State. <laughs> Uh, I think over the last 15, 20 years, more than 30 uh, state legislators have been sent to jail or have been forced to revive, uh, resign over corruption stuff. Um, earlier this year, uh, there was a corruption trial involved in the approval of um, a fossil fuel power plant in Orange County. And the uh, governor's top staff person, a person who at his father's funeral, he described as his brother. Um, was basically convicted of taking hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in bribes. And while he was doing this, he was actually the governor's campaign manager and for like 80 days was in the governor's office while he was supposedly running the campaign manager doing, you know, other business. And that's also being investigated. Another trial is taking place right now um, over what's called a Buffalo Billion um, basically, the governor provided about a billion dollars uh, for various economic development, we call corporate welfare projects in the city of, of Buffalo. And um, basically, the testimony has been is that the governor's person in the administration on this type of project um, rigged the bid to support a campaign donor. And in fact, the campaign donor testified, as I tried to tell the Cuomo people, you can't be so blatant about this. You know, you're basically structuring the contract bid so we're the only company that could possibly, you know, get the money. And you're doing it using 20 different factoids. Use two or three, you know, 
You can't. Don't be so obvious in your corruption. Don't be so obvious when you're doing this. Um, so that so that trial's on the way. And the interesting thing about it, in terms of the state controller, was that right before they gave out the billion dollar contract, the governor got the state legislature to pass a law to remove the ability of the state controller to oversee such contracts. Um, so he passed the law. Then, like two three months later, uh, he gave out the contract in question is seven hundred. Uh, and $50 million. Now, just two weeks ago, um, in the, the bizarre world of New York state politics, where the governor has been propping up the Republicans to control the Senate so that he doesn't have to pay attention to the Democrats in the legislature, he reversed fields. In any case, the Senate Republicans came upset with him for no longer being their best buddies. So they passed two bills, which the Assembly Democrats said that they wanted. One was to restore the state controller oversight over these type of contracts that are part of the corruption trial. And the second is, is to require more data to be collected on this multi-billion dollar annual corporate welfare program or the jobs actually being created. So the Senate said, you're going to screw us, Senate Republicans, we're going to go past this bill that the Assembly Democrats say they want. And once the Senate Democrats did it, I'm sorry, the Senate, the Senate Republicans did it, then the Assembly Democrats refused to allow the bill out of committee because the bill would be passed. And they did it at the request of the governor, please don't embarrass me by putting this bill, even though you've been publicly saying for months that you supported uh, this bill. And the state controller, the prior state controller, had also been kicked out of office for corruption. Um, so the state legislature actually elected the state controller initially. So they elected one of their own people. And so he went along with the state assembly and didn't publicly chastise him for not restoring his power to oversee these type of contracts. I got to tell you, Mark, state I, th- these anecdotes are reminding me of the great political philosopher, Lily Tomlin, who famously said, no matter how cynical I get, it's hard to keep up. I mean, you're really talking about uh, a level of graft and corruption uh, that seems almost right there on top of it. Uh, you know, well, I, I, just, I do want to give a chance. I just want to quickly respond to that. Uh, I, I have been elected off official. And actually, one of the things I said, I held office uh, and managed to cut taxes every year I was in office by doing crazy things like uh, I put all the town and contracts out to bid. And in fact, the county Democratic chairperson went to federal prison for two years because it turned out he was skimming money off of the town insurance contract, which nobody knew about. So I always have said is that I've been very cynical about electoral politics until I got elected to office. And then I became much more cynical. <laughs> right. The amount of wheeling and dealing and in our town, during our campaign, we actually got our houses shot up um, by people who were fighting us over the gravel issue. Twice the houses were shot. And then after the election, the county Democratic chair, guy gets sent to prison, pulled up one of the guys on the town board and said, can you basically approve this town gravel permit as uh, a favor to one of our donors? And the, the town Democratic uh, candidate who won said, we just ran on that issue. 
why would we possibly betray everybody who just elected us? And the county Democratic chairperson said, well, the gravel guy gave us 500 bucks. So for 500 bucks for a campaign donation, you're supposed to turn your back on the people. Folks, you're listening to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with longtime social change agent and Green Party organizer, Mark Dunley. Uh, Mark, Ginger writes in to say, I wish all Greens could get on board to pick a single candidate to massively push at the federal level to break the glass ceiling. I got to tell you, I'm looking at Kenneth Mejia in Los Angeles as one of those potential candidates. I'm wondering if you think Focusing on one candidate at the federal level makes sense, or should there be a broader approach or something in between? Well, I mean, the reality is that people don't seem to know how many Greens get elected. And so we have hundreds of Greens who have held elective office. Um, you know, I, I very much admire um, uh, Miss Swan in you know, Seattle got elected. Um, I was like, that's great. One socialist candidate gets elected and it's national coverage. And 150 Green Party candidates get elected and they ignore us. And New York State. So I want to stop you for one second because I really want to drive this point home, folks. <laughs> yes, Shama Sawant deserves to be celebrated. I celebrated it. I was happy that she won a spe- seat on the Seattle City Council. There are currently over 150 elected Greens. Uh, at the local municipal uh, and uh, district level all across the country. If you actually count up all of our successes, we've actually elected in our history a thousand people. So this idea that Greens only focused at the federal or national level is actually objectively untrue. And Greens actually win and govern when we get elected. And, of course, in New York, when one person we always refer to is Jason West, uh, who got elected mayor of New Paltz and along with his deputy mayor, uh, Rebecca Rotzler, um, shortly after they got elected, we began to perform same-sex marriages. And that helped really ignite the national movement. But it was and, really- by the way, at a time when uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton were proclaiming that a marriage was and always be only between a man and a woman, Jason West was actually marrying people and, in fact, went to jail uh, in support of same-sex marriage because he refused to stop marrying people. Mark, I do want to make sure that we get uh, to Ivan's question. Uh, and he, uh, he says, look, we need more movement in the Green Party immediately. It seems like this party is just dragging along while corruption keeps going on. How can we be more serious? So I appreciate uh, Ivan sort of pushing us, and I'll I'll push you. How can the Green Party take advantage of this historic moment? Either what can we do differently, or what would you recommend that we as Greens really focus on in this moment? Well, you can send donations to markdunley.org slash donate. That would help. But I always have argued that the Greens should be more active with, with issues and do issue organizing. Uh, I think that was the model that the German Greens, you know, when, when they first started. Um, if we show that we can move issues and be part of a movement, I think it's much more likely that the movement's going to be willing to support us on Election Day. I think too often Greens think just because we articulate issues that various movements are supportive of that those movements will then turn around and vote for us. And I think we need to be doing 
both. And I know Howie Hawkins in New York State, he actually can show there's like 19 issues from his uh, election campaigns in recent years from everything from same-sex marriage to fracking to $15 an hour minimum wage that he's been able to move. But one of the things I really found in New York City, probably through my work at the Hunger Action Network, I became very active in the wage theft movement trying to stop that. And they were always very, very open to having any Green Party candidate get up and speak, which is so unusual because most movements will say either no candidates or only the candidate if they're already a Democrat or you know, elected official. Um, but when you've been there on the front line, they're much more willing to say, why is this even a question? The Green Party is part of our coalition. Of course they can speak. Of course they can participate. Because the Greens have been there on the issue before. Thank you, Mark, for that. I, too, have been a big believer in that, yes, the Green Party has a role in elections. Yes, we should be running candidates for office. But unless we're of the movement, we can't properly represent the movement. That's what the Democrats mouth that they do all the time. So our positions are not enough. We've got to actually show up on issues. However, you are running for comptroller of New York State. This is a profound thing that you're actually doing. And I want to give you an opportunity, Mark, to talk about your call to divest New York State pension plan from fossil fuels. That seems to be one of the cornerstones of your platform. And I want to give you the space to describe that. Well, you know, for the last five years, I've been, you know, probably the principal organizer in New York State around divestment. Uh, as also as well helping to lead the fight on 100% clean energy by 2030. Reality is the New York State only gets 4% of its electricity from solar and wind. So this is really was um, a trial to see whether or not somebody who's really been very active and very visible in the climate change movement and has had you know some real success, we got New York City to divest from fossil fuels, whether that can then translate and get in the climate change movement to come on board, break out of the confines of the Democratic Party, and actually support, you know, a Green Party candidate. And I tell people I got two goals. One is to make sure we get 50,000 votes for governor, uh, for Howie Hawkins, so we maintain our ballot line. Uh, but the second is to, at the end of this campaign to have the state controller, you know, agree to divest, that we've been able to mobilize enough pressure, not only at the ballots box, but by people participate in a demonstration, doing phone calls, sending emails, um, bird dogging Tom DiNapoli, the incumbent, as he goes around the state, that'll just say, enough's enough, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do the best. Um, we need to say no to the fossil fuel industry um, as soon as we possibly can. So, Folks, you've been listening to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We've been having a conversation with Mark Dunley, longtime social change agent, longtime Green Party organizer, and currently running for comptroller in the state of New York on a platform to divest public pensions from the fossil fuel industry to transition to clean, sustainable, alternative energy. You know, uh, Mark, the, the time has just flown by. I do want to give you an opportunity for any closing thoughts that you have to share with our audience. Well, one of the interesting things is that um, in Europe, it has really been the uh, public pension funds that have financed the expansion of offshore wind. And in offshore wind uh, in Europe, uh, they're now able to, to produce offshore wind at 5.5 cents a kilowatt hour 
don't need need any subsidies. We only have two very small projects in in the United States. Um, and I think one of the issues we want to talk a lot about with climate change is also the issue of public ownership, uh, and that's been really key in Germany. It's been a municipal power that has driven uh, the renewable energy revolution there, and that we need to talk about getting rid of uh, both the investor-owned utilities, but also the hedge funds, which are the ones that are financing the renewable energy industry. It can be a lot quicker uh, and a lot cheaper, and the public is much more supportive of renewable energy, you know, utility-scale projects when they see it publicly owned because then they view it as a public good. That's fantastic, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge for some of the very concrete and specific recommendations you've given that would apply to any Green Party organizer at the local or state level anywhere in this country, but also for your insight into using the Comptroller's Office to really push the issue uh, I want to remind folks that we here on A Green Way Forward are uh, available on iTunes. Uh, you can also get our podcast directly from us. Go to the website, agreenwayforward.org. You can download this podcast and many, many others. In addition, uh, I want to encourage you to go to that website and sign up for new updates from us as we continue to bring on new guests like Mark Dunley. Uh, and I want to close this program by thanking Mark Dunley personally. I also want to thank executive producer Michael O'Neill, uh, who makes this program happen as an unpaid volunteer. Michael O'Neill is also a Green Party of New York State organizer and the campaign manager for the Howie Hawkins gubernatorial campaign, which may be one of the, the races to watch to see if Howie can get the 50,000 votes to retain the ballot line in New York State. It's a very important state for us, obviously. And lastly, I want to thank you, the viewer listener, uh, because with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, the revolution may not be televised, but it will be brought to you over sources of non-corporately filtered news, information, and analysis, and the peaceful loving, compassionate revolution is being waged by people like you every day. I want to thank you for giving us 30 minutes of your time to share our thoughts and ideas. And I want to encourage you to get active, get involved, keep on keeping on. Peace. A Green Way Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive. 